Welcome to Hack in the Self. I'm Adrian Baker, and today I am speaking with Ben Elon again in part three of our four-part series on classical Chinese medicine. So if you haven't heard those first two episodes with Ben, which were on what is Chinese medicine and the differences between Chinese medicine and Western medicine, you might want to go back and check out those episodes. That said, even if you haven't heard them, you could definitely listen to this one as a standalone episode and always go back later. So this episode, we really dive into the core ideas of classical Chinese medicine theory, which are yin and yang and the five elements. And as Ben and I talk about at the beginning of the conversation, and as Ben is far more equipped to say than myself, as Ben is a Chinese a doctor of classical Chinese medicine, I should say he's a licensed acupuncturist in classical Chinese medicine, and he studied it for four years in university. Classical Chinese medicine, and in particular, you know, even just yin yang and five element theory, these are extremely like rich core foundational concepts that a first year student might spend an entire year studying, and undoubtedly people dedicate their entire lives to and are still searching through all of the nuances of five element theory and how they relate to each other. And yin and yang is very rich as well. So in this new format, which is 30 minutes, we are doing perhaps the impossible task of trying to tackle such a topic. But nonetheless, I want to provide a real kind of crash course or perhaps even just frame it as giving people a little taste is the best way to describe it of these really core ideas of Chinese medicine. And I think even in the short amount of time, you will walk away with a richer understanding of these ideas and perhaps clarifying some misconceptions that you might have had. Because I think even if you're not that familiar with Chinese medicine, yin yang are ideas that are kind of in the popular lexicon. And there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, around those ideas, which Ben clarifies and sort of adds a lot of rich detail on. And so hopefully this will inspire you to learn more about these topics because these ideas, as we really get to in the end of the top conversation, can really help you to view life through a different lens, in particular towards the end of finding balance and harmony in your own life, which is really at the foundation of health and flourishing in the classical Chinese view. So with that said, I'm going to give you my conversation with Ben. But before I do, I just want to mention really briefly, for those of you who find yourself interested in this conversation about the five elements and want to learn more, I'm going to be having on a wonderful guest in the near future, Shauna Zhang. And Shauna is incredibly knowledgeable about five element theory and Chinese medicine in general and Chinese thoughts. She studied it in university and now she, and she is from uh, Yunnan province in Southern China, which all the tea drinkers out there might recognize as where a lot of great tea, in particular poor tea, very famous kind of tea comes from. And Shauna is the head of a biodynamic artisanal tea company. And she will explain what all that means when we talk, but basically organic sort of smaller produced farming tea in Yunnan province. 
And for anyone interested in my conversations with Ben, I'm just flagging that because I've been recording with Shauna and it's going to be incredibly knowledgeable, rich, much deeper conversations around five elements simply because we focus on it in so much more depth. So I'd encourage you to listen to those when you come out. And in the meantime, if you're interested in learning more, if you go to adrianbakerchigong.com, which is my website for my Qigong practice, you will find on there in the store section an area for Wild Tea Chi. This is Shauna's company. And if you click on that and go to Wild Tea Chi, you'll find an array of things, including a book on the five elements in tea, which is an extremely great resource for people who are either understanded, interested in tea, or if you want to understand five elements, really learning it through this lens, particularly if you have any interest whatsoever in tea, will give you a much richer understanding of the five elements when you're beginning to apply it to a specific area such as tea. So that's a really great resource. If you want to learn more about this conversation that I touch with Ben, I would also just add that I absolutely love her tea. It's phenomenal. And ever since I was introduced to it a few months ago, I have been drinking it daily. There are, uh, and it's totally changed my relationship and understanding of, of teas, listening to Shauna's talks or online courses or books. And the difference between drinking this tea and what I thought was quote unquote good tea, it's very apparent in the feeling just when I drink it. So if that's something, if you're a tea drinker, I would highly uh, encourage you to head on over to uh, the Wild Tea Chi website through my website, adrianbakerchigong.com and check that out. And I'll say in the interest of full disclosure and moving towards a business model where I can help to make this podcast sustainable, you know, I'm doing affiliate marketing partnerships with any kind of products that I genuinely believe in and I've tested and I enjoy. And I'd be happy to field any questions on this. I do not put any products on the website that I have not personally been trying and heavily researched and totally endorse myself. So I absolutely believe in everything that is up there and think it's a very high quality. But if you're able to go to the website and if you purchase anything through those affiliate links, that's a great way to support the show because we make a commission on any purchases made, whether it's in the, on the Wild Chi or anything else you see up there, which are also great. And I'll talk about at different points, such as the herbal products from HerbWorks or Four Sigmatic Coffee or the White Tiger Qigong courses. And that's a great way to sort of support the show without having to actually make a donation. If you're purchasing something you already want to purchase and we get benefit, know that you're also helping to help make this podcast a sustainable project as well. So with that said, I want to give the brief introduction for Ben. For those of you who have uh, not heard his bio before in our previous two podcasts. So, Ben Elon has been studying and practicing classical Chinese medicine for 13 years. Trained in the stems and branches acupuncture tradition, he is a certified acupuncturist, herbalist, and medical Qigong instructor. 
He also holds a master's degree in narrative therapy from Melbourne University. Benjamin began his journey doing community and health work with indigenous tribes in southern Israel. Today, the scope of his practice incorporates elements of humanistic psychology, ethnography, shamanism, and community work. Ben is currently practicing and teaching Chinese medicine in northern Thailand. And for those who are interested in learning more about Ben, you can connect with him through Facebook. So with that said, I now give you my conversation with Benny Lan and would love to hear from anyone who is enjoying the show through the usual channels, which would be hackingtheself at gmail.com or the Hacking the Self Facebook page or Hacking the Self on Twitter. So thank you so much and hope you enjoy this conversation with Ben. Your continued support makes future episodes possible. You can help by heading over to patreon.com slash hacking the self. Well, just to mention that, so this episode specifically focuses on the very theoretical aspect. So we talked a little bit about just maybe the practical ways in which Chinese medicine is used and what that might look like. So now we're just going to have a, a very brief discussion about some of these underpinning energetic theories, the theory of yin and yang and the theory of five elements that uh, constitute the base for for Chinese medicine and also all of classical Chinese thought, essentially. These are two of the, the key theories in everything Chinese culture. And that would include things like not just medicine, but also uh, considerations around uh, things like politics, early Chinese science, other esoteric practices like feng shui, even the art of war, you know, was of, of ancient China was based around principles of yin yang and five elements. It was really these two theories together essentially form the base of, uh, of Taoist metaphysics. And Taoist metaphysics is what we call an epistemology. And epistemology means um, it's like the overall theory of how everything works in simple terms. And so this was the overall understanding of how well, the world and nature would work. You could translate them using these two theories of yin and yang and, and the five elements, much the same way that in this day and age, we would say that uh, the epistemology of scientific thinking helps us understand like where the way the world works. We translate it through rational sense, science, as our definitive understanding of things. Well, I love it, man. You dove straight in. So as I said to you in our pregame talk, you know, I'm really going to sort of sit back and let you decide as the expert how to, you know, tackle this difficult topic. So why don't you go ahead? You have free reign. Sure, sure. Let's, uh, let's just dive into it. So maybe it's best just to, to give a little historical context that at around uh, 500 BCE, so about 2,500 years ago, Really between 700 to about 300 before the Common Era, there was this period in China called the Warring States period, in which was a period of total political and military anarchy. The old empires had crumbled and left countless amount of little fiefdoms and kingdoms who were uh, competing against each other for centuries for land and resources and just dominance and survival, though as much as they could. So this is remembered in China as, as just a really uh, terrible period for in many, many different ways. But it had a surprisingly very positive outcome, which is that it created an environment where there was a high demand for thinkers. Uh, princes and lords and you know heads of armies were always interested to hire someone who could help them think of a new way to organize their army, to organize their, um, their state to get economic dominance quickly over the, the states around them. And for survival. And what that created was a situation where suddenly there was a big renaissance of, uh, of Chinese thought. And this is where most of classical Chinese philosophy came from during this period. The philosophers just started popping up in, uh, 
getting jobs in different places. And there was really, there's many, many different schools of thought, some really wonderful theories of those who want to go into classical Chinese philosophy. But we're here to talk about two very specific ones that came out of the, the school of thought of Taoism, of Taoism. And those are yin and yang and the five element theory. So let's start with yin and yang. So during the Warring States period, so Taoist philosophers, their tendency was to try to explain politics and war and economics through observing nature. They were naturalists by nature. They would they spend time in nature and observing, you know, just natural phenomena like the way things grew in animals and and whatnot, weather, the way water flowed. And to get an idea, to try to get an overall arching idea of how things, you know, how we, how you would explain how all of nature worked, and then using that to create using that to create systems to run human kingdoms. And yin and yang was uh, one of the most popular ones. So yin and yang, the theory of yin and yang takes all of natural phenomena and divides it into two categories. There's the yin phenomenon, there's the yang phenomenon. They're two opposing, not necessarily forces, but like two sides of a coin. Two there, they would say that you could call them two dialectically opposing forces. Now, it's not that you could consider them yin and yang are not materials or energy. They're more like taking a natural phenomena and dividing them into like right or left, for instance. The same way that if you were to take two objects and place them next to each other, one would be on the right and one would be on the left. These are not like inherent qualities. It's just they're in relation to each other. And this is what yin and yang does. It explains natural phenomena and objects in nature as in opposed to where they are in relation to each other. Now, yang means, literally, it means the sunny side of a mountain. If you look at the character, the Chinese character for yang, it means the sunny side of a mountain. And what they mean is that everything yang would be things that are more external or upbeat or light or masculine or active. Anything that falls into this sort of category that would be more active or sunny, let's say, the overall arching title for this would be yang, uh, belong to this, this category, to these forces. Whereas everything that is yin would be things which are deeper or quiet, more quiet or more subtle or more secret or more feminine or darker in color or smaller or anything which is like, as we said, so the character for yin is the shady side of the mountain. So it gives us, there's, there's an idea. So if we do, again, we take our two objects, one on the left and one on the right, and we put them next to each other and we can compare their qualities. We might find that one is more yin and one is more yang in relation to each other. For instance, one will be bigger, this might be more yang, and one will be smaller, one might be more yin. Or one might be brighter colored and one might be darker colored. And then we can look at the yin and yang in that. And this would give our comparison for these, for these two forces. So yin and yang theory comes from the assumption that anything, that, is, that anything that's one can be divided into two. You can see the two sides of it. And that every... So the theory of yin and yang, even though we're not talking about specific materials or energy, assumes that all of life stems from an interaction between yin and yang. They're not uh, stationary forces, that there's an interaction going on. And there's a very famous saying that says, yang creates yin and yin nourishes yang. A good way to explain that relationship might be to think about a plant, like a growing plant or maybe a potted plant in your house, where in order to grow, a plant will need soil, it'll need uh, nourishment, it'll need nutrients in, um, in a pot, it'll need stationary, can't be moved around all the time, it needs to stay in the same place. And these are all very yin qualities. It will, the seed will need to stay hidden in the ground for a while. But after a while, if it's gotten enough of this, these yin qualities, it will start bursting forward and growing and become a dynamic and alive plant. And these are yang. If it, once it bursts out from the ground, uh, the color, brightness of color, the quickness of its growth, 
the vitality that might be seen in, in the petals of the flowers and things like that, the nutrients you can derive from eating it. These would all be considered yang qualities. So in this case, we'd see like the yin gives birth to yang. Once the plant has run its full life cycle, it will then break down and it will go back into the earth and it will re-nourish the ground and this yang will also create yin in that way. So this is one example of the countless examples of ways that yin and yang are constantly creating um, the expression of life. I think the only thing I would underscore for people, yeah, and I believe you've said it, but it's just, it, it can't be emphasized enough. And I just notice people being confused on this point again, again, they'll ask something, is this yin or is that yang? Yin and yang only have meaning in relation to each other. So you cannot say something is yin or it's yang. You can only say that it is yin in relation to something else or yang in relation to something else. Right. That's absolutely right. Any more that right or left can be any more right or left in and of itself without in comparison to what you're you're comparing it to. Exactly. And, and that, that just has to be underscored because I think that's is probably the single biggest misconception that people have from yin and yang that I noticed from you know, the Qigong trainings we do. Right. Right. I totally agree with that. Thanks for pointing that out. And I will emphasize also, you know, if you were to take someone who is six feet tall and put them next to someone in four who's four feet tall, the person who is taller or the six foot person would be yang. But if you were to take the same person and put them next to, let's say, a basketball player who is six and a half or seven feet tall, they would automatically become the more yin in comparison to this person next to them. So it's all very dynamic. Right. And so when we're thinking about foods or teas or exercises or all these kinds of things, it makes sense intuitively. I get why people might say, oh, that must be a yang exercise or that's a yin exercise. But they probably mean on implicitly they're, what they're not saying is they have a frame of reference in their mind, something they're comparing it to. Right. And they might right. not be staying it. It's like, yes, lifting weights, intense weightlifting is yang compared to walking. But you have to you have to situate it in relation to something else. That's absolutely true. That's a really good point. And that actually that actually points out something else which is important to emphasize in yin and yang that the way that um, yin and yang is applied to these to classical Chinese arts and science is an assumption that if there's too much of one side, the way to achieve balance is to increase the other one. So let's say if we go with this um, this example of lifting weights, let's say a person is spending a lot of time in stationary position, they're sitting and working at a desk, or they're spending time at home sitting on the couch, we could say that they're in a very yin state, and then we want to bring up the yang in order to make sure that they don't get too yin, they don't want to get too stationary. So we might recommend that they go running or they go lift weights. But then also the opposite might be true if we see someone who's maybe going to the gym seven times a week and is coming home and is just exhausted and is spending too much time in exerting their effort, we would recommend uh, rest. We would recommend more yin, for instance. That would be one way that we could use that in, in just recommending a healthier lifestyle. On the same note, we can look at that in the natural world. If we go back to our plant, we plant our seed, but we see that it's having difficulty rising out of the earth. We can say, well, maybe the earth isn't in enough. Maybe there's not enough dirt in the pot or the dirt itself is not of high enough quality. We haven't given it enough water and we can increase the yin to nourish the yang. And then we will expect a better, better results with our plant. Excellent points. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Right. So that summarizes um, yin and yang. So our second point of discussion here is the theory of uh, five elements, or the wuxing. And this is, again, this is another school that came out of uh, the naturalist thinking of the Taoists around this, the Warring States period. 
And it emerged more or less around the same time that the yin and yang theory came. And it's very similar in some ways, except that instead of dividing everything into these dialectically opposing forces, one if k taking to the two, it takes it up a couple of notches. It says it starts explaining things as a system of five. So when we say the term five elements, this is actually a bit of a mistranslation of the term wuxing, and maybe a better translation that you can see sometimes is the five phases. And what they mean is that there are five phases of nature. These are, uh, it's like a meta pattern. So the five elements encompass a meta pattern that explains, again, all the phenomena in nature and how they transition from one to the next, the different stages, the different cyclic stages of everything in nature. So it's a little bit different than yin and yang. Yin and yang explains how different uh, dialectical um, forces oppose and create each other. And the five elements or five phases have more of an explanation of the different stages of natural phenomena as they, they move. So what do I mean by that? We've talked about the term, the, um, the concept of qi, qi as uh, life force or energy or movement in everything. The five uh, phases theory uh, talks about five different qualities of qi. So it's not just qi and movement, it's actually what kind of qi or what flavor of qi, if you will, and how they phase into each other and how they, the relationship they have with each other. So a good way to explain it would be um, to maybe take a look at nature, at, uh, at weather, at, um, at the natural seasons that they experienced in China. And unlike in, uh, in Europe, classical Chinese culture categorized there as being five, uh, five seasons. So the first one would be the spring, and the spring is represented by the element of wood. And wood is about, beyond just the association of spring and, and the renewal of life, the essence of the qi of wood is about uh, newness and coming forwardness and springiness. It's a very yang quality to it. As it bursts forward, it's full of life, um, it's full of hope, it's full of potential. It's about movement, it's about moving forward. And it sort of captures that, that essence of like, you know, spring coming out of the phase of winter and, and just bringing a whole new renewed wave of energy. Whereas the next of the five phases would be what we call the fire phase. The fire phase is already the height of the potential has been reached. So as the wood bursts forward, it gets to its goal. And the fire is about being in the here and now, the celebration. It's about the summer at the time of year when everything has been achieved, the the spring has come forward and then there's like summer, there's like the heat of summer. If there's a sense of accomplishment, there's a sense of we don't need to do anything except to be here and celebrate. There's a time to relax in the heat, sitting on the porch and enjoying life. There's nowhere to go. The weather is fine. The element of fire has to do with happiness, with satisfaction. And from there, it phases into what they call in China, like uh, the late sun summer or the Indian summer, which is sort of another warm, dry phase uh, towards the end of the summer which is uh, has to do with the earth element, the earth phase. And the earth phase is more about uh, grounding in and finding a center, getting into a regularity of a routine. It's about monotony. It's about your digestive system. And phasing from the, the earth, you come into the metal, which has to do with the season of autumn. Now, the autumn, the, the uh, weather begins to get cooler and there begins to get a sense of urgency about, okay, well, we can no longer sit around and enjoy ourselves and we can no longer just be making our home in the late summer. There's a certain urgency because winter is coming. So we have to be more focused on collection, on boundaries, on being economic with our, with our time and our, uh, our efforts. It's about harvest and bounty. It's about collecting uh, the fruits of the summer and saving them away knowing what's important to do now and what's not being discerning. It's about justice. And from there, we go from the autumn, which is the element of metal, and we phase into the winter, which is the final stillness of the deepest yin, where everything just has to stop. Everything has to bring everything down to all their activity down to a minimum because of the cold, 
because of this imposing sense of quietness, stillness that needs to happen. And uh, the element of water represents subconscious, the sleep state of man and all animals. Stillness in which the deepest yin that would create life, that would create the nourishment where from which life once again, the spring can once again get created. And they say at the dead of winter, that's when the first the seeds deep in the ground who have been frozen and, and collected the cold from the winter begin their, their opening up, begin the activation of their yang. So spring actually starts in the dead of winter, deep down underground. It's in this deepest yin, this deepest stillness that life starts renewing itself. And this is the cycle of the five phases. And it really represents this ever-creating, ever-evolving, ever-going-forward, but yet staying in the same place of nature, the cyclic uh, nature of, of all natural phenomena. The way we might use the five elements is we can, it gives us a much better description of, let's say, the human body. We can look at a human and discern there are the five elements within a human. Because we use the example of the seasons, that would be the five elements in the macro level, but it also happens on smaller levels. So as on the earthly level, we have our seasons and the expression of five elements. On the human level, we could look at a person and see the five elements within them. And yet again, we can get even from the macro more into the micro. We can look within uh, humans' biological life-sustaining systems, and within there, we also have different five elements. So on a human level, we'll say like the heart represents the fire, which is about the spirit of the person, and the liver represents the, the wood aspect which is the, the liver controls the movement of the blood and the movement of the chi and the expression of the, uh, of the emotions. Whereas the kidneys are in charge of sort of the deeper, longer life patterns and are in charge of your life vitality, but deep in your subconscious, your nervous system, these are your water and things like that. If we zoom out, we can also say that we have that five phases exist on the macro level, on the ultimate macro level, on the universal level, and that there are five, according to the Chinese traditional account, there are five planets and each one controls um, a different element. Jupiter is associated with the, with the element of wood and Mars is associated with fire and so on. And as they move through the sky, they have different effects on, on the earth. And apparently, apparently, traditionally, this is the way that traditional Chinese astrology has been interpreted as the qi or, if you will, the electromagnetic field from the planets influencing the earth at different, type, at different points in time. You're giving me... Uh... Such a huge download. I mean, a lot of this is is new to me, I guess. Perhaps you can talk about the different ways in which the five elements is applied to some of the common things. So you talk about the seasons, you know, what are some of the other common ways in which the five elements are applied? And perhaps you can just give a few examples of ways in which they're connected. So, well, you asked previously about nutrition, for instance. Yeah. And And can um, you, sorry, in this explanation, can you talk about sort of the, what you've been doing a bit, the constructive, like the supporting and also the destroying cycle as well, and explain that just a little bit. Yeah, sure. With nutrition. yeah. So maybe just to explain how Chinese medicine views nutrition through the five elements. In Chinese medicine, when testing food or herbs or medicinal herbs, we'll categorize them according to one of five tastes attributing them to the different elements. So for instance, if a food is categorized as sweet in taste, it would be associated more with the earth elements because earth is sweeter. So therefore, it might help your digestive system, which is associated with earth. And it might be the right time to eat it might be around the um, the Indian summer, towards the end of the summer, would be a healthier time for you to, um, you could get the most chi out of it in that sense. Whereas if something was salty, it would be associated with the element of water. And then this is why saltier foods are considered healthier to prepare you for winter or to take in winter or salting, let's say, you know, salted meats. 
they nourish your kidneys and support you through the through this particular season. Deep green leafy vegetables uh, or spicy vegetables have to do more with, sorry, not spicy, strike that. Sour foods are associated with the element of, of wood, for instance. So allergies and hay fever, they'll may prescribe things which have uh, like citrus fruits or lemon, like a lemon, lemon juice, things like that are healthier for the spring and the, the kind of illnesses that pop out during the spring. Can I ask you a question on that? So yeah, you said wood. I know bitter. So wood's associated with the liver and bitter foods like bitter melon soup in Chinese is supposed to be very good for the liver as well. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I would say that it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be good for a bunch of different things. I don't actually know exactly what what it might be prescribed for, but I'm sure it's good for the, also for the liver. Listen, there's a there's a score of different things that are good for the liver, which might not be attributed to necessarily sour taste. Like like green salads are often also considered good for calming and soothing them, building liver yin, or things like um, spirulina and wheatgrass juice are good for calming it down, and that might be more con- uh, connected to the green color that's in them. The sour taste has more this sour and has a contracting quality to it. So it has this thing of where we know that the wood element is about expansion. So this idea of sour is like it coiling up and then exploding. This is what the ancient Chinese considered sour. Like it pulls it together and then sends it out, the qi. So it, it can open up stagnation and move things through in that way. Now, there's different ways to support the liver, but this gets into the question that you were asking before, which is the different cycles of these elements. So we, we described briefly how each season sort of feeds the one and you know happens and feeds the one coming after it and this is an example of one way that these that uh, the elements relate to each other which we call the the creating cycle and nourishing cycle or the shung cycle so according to five phases theory uh, the shung cycle is that if you have the quality and the, the balance of the element of a certain element will nourish the element that comes after it in the cycle. For instance, a strong winter, a cold winter, a healthy winter, a balanced winter will create a, a balanced spring. And a balanced spring will nourish and create a balanced summer. If the summer is, you know, very hot and very full of, you know, just whatever whatever makes summer good, it'll also create a good uh, late summer, a good Indian summer, and create a more earth. And that's the phase in the phase that in the order that we describe these things. Wood naturally feeds fire. So if there's enough wood in the fire, the fire will be hot. And if the, the fire is very hot, it will burn the wood and then that will nourish the earth and give nutrients to the earth that will create earth. And quality earth will also give birth to metal out of just having different uh, minerals that come out that can be used to make precious metals and so on and so forth through that cycle. We call this the Shung cycle of creation. And um, there's another way that we might use these elements, and this is called the Kiss cycle or the balancing cycle, in which different elements will balance each other out in a way that they're not nourishing them, but rather keeping them from becoming overactive. We sometimes call this the father-child, the father cycle, because it's the traditionally the father's job to make sure the child doesn't become unruly. The Sheng cycle is like the mother; it nourishes the child, where the father makes sure that the child will behave. And an example of this, we say, well, the wood is responsible for keeping the the earth in check. It's the father of the earth, and it makes sure that earth doesn't get too what you'd call maybe too earthy. To an earth, the qual has a quality of staying in one's place, but it can also get too stuck in its in its rut, too stuck in its routine, not willing to go outside the house. And wood with its nature of movement and nature of spontaneity and nature of renewal, can come to the earth and, and shake it up and give it a little bit of, of movement in that way. For instance, let's say if you have a mountain which is covered in earth and mud, you know, you're in danger of a mudslide. Whereas if you have a forest or a wood element on this, on this mountainside, the earth will stay stable. There's something to contain it there. Interesting. That makes sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I never thought of 
the wood element being sort of expanding that in that way as a sort of bringing something out. Now, perhaps one question I should ask is, so wood has this expansive quality, but I've also heard fire expands as in it goes out, right? I mean, my, my, my knowledge is very limited. So I'm hearing about from our Qigong training that I thought wood likes to sway, you know, move side to side. But I thought of fire as expansive. So, what's the distinction between the sort of expansiveness of wood and the the way in which fire has an expansive quality? Right. So, um, it's a good question because they're both very yang phases. The wood we call the wood is like the the rising yang. It's um, the yang as it's breaking out of its yin phase, and then the fire would be the epitome of yang. So, they're both very active, and they both have certain aspects of expansion. Right. Spring into summer. Right, from spring into summer. So we might say that the wood has more of a directed energy to it. It's like, usually when I teach this, I do. I show it physically on stage. I start walking briskly in one direction saying, this is the wood movement. It go, It's going somewhere. It's like a, sh- a sprout shooting up. It's got direction to it. Whereas the, the expansion of fire is more like a dancing flame. I mean, there's definitely a lot of energy there and it draws your attention to it. And it can send out warmth in every direction, but that's exactly it. It's not contained. It's not directed. It's emanating. It's an, it's an emanating expansion. Fire doesn't direct itself to one place or another. It goes wherever it can, wherever it's invited to. Does that help differentiate between the two? Definitely. It definitely does. Yeah. And, you know, you can really, the, the, the subjects of five elements and also yin and yang, they're very, very deep subjects. And we're just really touching on this just very briefly. But, you know, this in Chinese medicine school, the whole first year is devoted to a, a large part of the first year is devoted to internalizing both of these subjects in a way of, of learning through example. And this was also the classical Chinese way of doing it, that there's really no real way to explain yin and yang order any of these five phases without just giving us um, a, like a long list of examples. Because in and of itself, it's not to say that, that let's say summer is fire, summer is the element of fire. But even the name fire itself is just trying to find something which is similar to this particular frequency of chi. They're in and of themselves particular frequencies. But the same way that you can't explain how a note that you play on the piano sounds, it just is what it is. And you can maybe say it sounds a little bit like, you know, the if you play like, you know, a, a major C on the, the, the piano, it sounds like life. It sounds like youngness or whatever impression you have. There's no real way to convey what it is without playing the note. And this is what's true of each of these five elements and also the yin and yang. They're in and of themselves frequencies to be experienced or to be compared to. I think that's a really cool way of explaining it. There are frequencies to be experienced. I like that. So let's wrap up on this note because I'm mindful of the time. So for people who might either be, whether it's you're fascinated and want to learn more, or you're just feeling overwhelmed and you it's so esoteric, you wouldn't know where to begin. What is the practical applicability of this to my own life? Like why get more interested in yin and yang and five elements, Chinese medicine in general? So on a practical level, what can this help people do? First and foremost, I think these two theories are very helpful in leading, finding ways to find your life and become more balanced in a sense of finding ways to make your life more healthy using these theories of yin and yang and the five phases to maybe orient your perspective about whatever might be happening in your life to look for either what might be missing and could be balanced out. For instance, if you're being in what areas of your life you're being too yin or too yang, if you should bring more of the opposite in, that could bring more balance to that. And in the same way, like you could use the five elements if you were adept in that. If you found yourself very active in a wood phase, you might find yourself a bit too woody. You might want to balance it out with some metal, which balances out wood. Like if you're 
forever thinking of good ideas at work, but not really able to sit down and do them. You can think, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to apply some metal and some focus and some containment. I'm going to, you know, turn off my, my social media and just spend the next hour in focused work. This would be bringing metal to the, to the wood in little ways like yeah. that. That might be a good example of how you can actually apply this to your daily life. Yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, you just nailed what I was teeing you up for. That was the real thought I, I had in my mind. <laughs> and it, well done, home run. You know, and I'm the total rookie, you know, but it seems like from what little I've gathered about Chinese medicine, it's really all about the entire worldview in terms of health. And happiness and sort of the key word is harmony is is all about when you bring things into balance. When you bring the theory goes that when you bring things into balance, either by balancing the yin with the yang or by balancing finding it within the five phases, you're gonna find success in that field. This is the the classical Chinese thinking of it. And it encompasses everything from you know, if if we're thinking about everyday life from work to art to running your house to play to rest to your physical health, um, really to everything to your financial projects. This can be applied in every field. That's perfect. Be. Yeah, I was about to use the term flourishing, and it sounds like it's that's sort of exactly what you're getting at. It's in all these realms, whether it's your success in business or your your health or yeah. Whatever. This is the, this is the classical Chinese answer to, to what biohacking is. You might want to say, oh, sorry, maybe not biohacking, but hacking life in general. Like if you want to have a life that works, understand the underlying theories of how everything works and then you balance them out and then you'll have success. Oh, man. Ending Bottom on line. that note, it makes me want to do a whole nother episode on Taoism as biohacking. But I, I love that. I love the way you phrased it. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, Ben. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to yeah, uh, our, our fourth and final episode together soon. Great. Looking forward okay. to it too. Thanks okay. a lot. Thanks for your time, bud. Talk again soon. Bye. Bye.